Hey guys, welcome back to In Total Alignment. I hope you guys are digging the new name. I am. Such great feedback from you guys. And I've had lots of people sharing with me what they'd like me to talk about and focus on through the podcast. So thank you for that. I really love your ideas. So please just reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook and tell me what you really want me to bring to you this year. What kind of guests? What would your dream guest be for me to bring on this podcast? Let me know. So today is... This is really exciting. I told you about this last week that I was going to be interviewing someone that I look up to in so many ways, a woman who really was the catalyst for me starting intermittent fasting again a couple years ago because I stumbled upon her TED Talks. I'm not going to say much more. I'm going to dive into this episode with Cynthia If you have not been following Cynthia Thurlow yet, you need to be. She has many places to follow her on social media, YouTube. Her TED Talks are incredible. Go search for Surviving to Thriving and also Intermittent Fasting. They are awesome, and I know that you are going to absolutely love the discussion we had today. We talked about hormones, perimenopause, intermittent fasting, what stress is really doing to your life. It was really, really a great conversation. And I know you're going to love it. And before I go, I just want to remind you that the Holistic Success Mentorship, where I dive into health, mindset, all of the stuff, intermittent fasting, hormones, everything is kicking off enrollment. I can't believe we're at the end of January again. So I'm going to be taking another group of women in for February and we are going to dive in together. So if you're curious about that, make sure you click the link in the show notes or just reach out to me and we can chat and see if this is a good fit. I know you're going to love this one. Welcome back to In Total Alignment with me, your host, Michelle File. Not too many years ago, I was far from feeling aligned in my life. I was stressed out, 80 pounds overweight, insecure, and happy, but really unhappy if that makes sense. Life was happening to me instead of me creating the life I desired. In one small twist of fate, almost eight years ago, after a 20-year career as a top 100 Aveda salon and spa owner, I completely changed the trajectory of my life. On my way to rising to the top of my network marketing company, I completely changed my mindset, spirituality, health, and finances. And this is where I get to share it all with you. I hope to bring you guests, experiences, insights, and conversations that will help you elevate your life too. Creating a holistic approach to success is my goal. Are you ready? Let's go. Well, hello, you guys. Welcome back. And today I am so excited to have a really special guest on, Cynthia Thurlow, who, if you ever hang out with me, you know I talk about Cynthia all the time. So you can only imagine how excited I am to have her. 
Cynthia is a nurse practitioner, intermittent fasting and nutrition expert. But one of my favorite things I hear you say all the time, Cynthia, is women do not need to subscribe to the limiting belief or accept that weight gain is a normal function of aging. And I, if I had that like round of applause sound, I would put that on right now because it's just so great. So welcome and thank you. And I would love for you just to kind of share your story with my audience before we kind of kick into some questions. Yeah, no, thank you for that warm introduction. I've been looking forward to connecting with you. So I'm a traditional Western medicine trained nurse practitioner. My background is in ER medicine and cardiology. I am admittedly an adrenaline junkie. I like the action. I like sick patients from the respect intellectually. I find it much more interesting. Uh, and I did that for many years. And once I became a parent, uh, my oldest had horrible, horrific eczema And that sent me down a a rabbit hole because he was being exclusively breastfed. And I kept asking the questions. And of course, what was offered to me was topical steroids. I kept saying, is this something I'm eating because he's breastfed? And so we dove down this rabbit hole of food allergies. And my son actually has still to this day, life-threatening food allergies. And that really spun me out because I was sent home from the allergist being told to carry an EpiPen and pray, which is unacceptable. You know, if you really look at the escalating rates of um, food allergies here in the United States and other westernized countries, it's stupefying. And we really have to closely examine what has changed in the food industry. There was a book I read called The Unhealthy Truth, and I've had the honor of having Robin O'Brien on my podcast. And I tell her all the time, your book changed my life, the trajectory of everything I was doing. So I read that book and thought to myself, I, you know, I, I think that I want to be more than just a clinician. And so initially I started a PhD program, which I hated, and then I became a wellness coach and I didn't love that either. And then I stumbled upon another book called eat the Oaks. And I reached out to the author and said, everything you're saying about nutrition is completely different than what I was trained with. What I tell my patients, where did you get your training? And so that lit me up. I went and got a functional nutrition certification. And I loved that work. It really changed and opened up my eyes to the food supply, how we feed ourselves, the role of metabolic flexibility, et cetera. And so one year after I finished that program, I woke up one morning and told my husband that I couldn't write another prescription. Now imagine I have a very fiscally responsible spouse. He didn't (laughs) like that idea. I had no business plan. I just leaped And so I left clinical medicine, which was a really hard decision because I love being a nurse practitioner. I love educating patients. I love teaching patients. And nearly instantaneously, I started attracting a group of women who felt like their concerns weren't being heard, addressed. They felt invisible. And uh, this coincided with when I realized I was in perimenopause, this five to seven year period prior to menopause. And so there are no coincidences. And so my business started to grow. I created one-on-one programs and group programs. And then in 2018, I told my husband that I wanted to do a Ted talk because I felt that that would be a great way for an introvert to be challenged on a very benign level, not realizing that, that doing the two Ted talks that I did would change the trajectory of everything. And so I did my first in December of 2018 on perimenopause did my second in 2019 on intermittent fasting 
And this is as much as I thought about that second topic, because if for anyone who's familiar with TED Talks, you can't talk about the same topic twice. You have to come up with something fresh and new. And so in the very quick decision-making process of accepting one and accepting a second, I said to my husband, what do I know a lot about? And he said, intermittent fasting. And so that was as simple as, as a decision to make uh, in terms of looking at what topic I would talk about in March of 2019. And so that talk changed my life. I remember saying to my kids, oh, this summer, we're just going to relax and go to the pool. And it's almost like my, when that talk went viral, my business exploded. And so the beauty is, uh, you know, and not every clinician wants this, but I get to impact more lives every day doing what I do now than I ever could if I were in a hospital or, or an office. And it's not to suggest uh, that those that are doing that kind of work, that that's not of tremendous value, especially given the, the current situation in the world. But for me, it allowed me an opportunity to reach so many more lives, to impact so many more women, to give women hope. Because one of the, the things that I find particularly frustrating being a middle-aged woman is that if I just listen to the conventional wisdom about changes in our bodies and things I had to accept, I would be accepting a lot that's unacceptable. And whether or not it's weight gain, poor quality sleep, lackluster libido, um, you know, just changes in our bodies that we're, that we just don't find acceptable. Uh, I, I would be one of those people that would just kind of give up. And I encourage women to get educated, get inspired, get empowered to lead your best lives. And one of the really cool things is that we spend 40% of our lifetime in menopause. And if really, if women really allow that to sink in, it's a tremendous gift. It is not something that women need to fear or women need to, uh, you know, sit back and, and, you know, I guess, grieve their, their youth, you know, we're such a youth obsessed culture. Uh, I remind people, I'm like, there's something great about being in your forties and fifties and really standing in your power and feeling like you have a voice and that you're not invisible and that you're not insignificant. Yeah. I, I think you were the first one to sort of shed light on that for me mm-hmm. that, okay, half of my life, like I still have half of my life mm-hmm. to go here. And I think when you lean into that as a woman, oh, I mean, I feel better, healthier, Mm -hmm. more vibrant. I'm way smarter. Like Mm -hmm. just everything is so much better now. Um, So, so many things that I I think we could probably talk for seven hours (laughs) (laughs) because there's a few different directions I would love to go with you. I just think it's really empowering when women make a change in their career. I did Mm -hmm. that seven years ago and I, I love that, but I'm going to shelf that just I just think it's amazing that that's what you did. You followed your passion Mm -hmm. and, and heart, but I really do want to talk to you and really just honestly pick your brain. First of all, can you explain perimenopause? Can you Mm -hmm. really shed some light for women? What's going on? When is it happening? And maybe some of your experience with it. Yeah. So perimenopause is typically five to seven years preceding menopause, but if you look at research, it could be as much as 10 years. So we are born with a finite amount of eggs or in our ovaries. And so what starts to happen is initially there are ovaries, which, you know, has these ovum, um, that are as old as we are, which is really important to stress. Whereas men are replenishing sperm every three days, very, very different after the age of 35, our ovaries are producing less of a hormone called progesterone. And progesterone is this wonderful, I always say it's like the hippie hormone. It's relaxed. Um, you know, it's the thing that helps you sleep. It helps dampen anxiety or depression. 
we start producing less of it. And that can manifest as initially sleep issues, anxiety, and depression. It can contribute to heavier menstrual cycles because we don't have as much balance between progesterone and estrogen. And so most of us are, are navigating our mid to late thirties and we're probably have young, young people at home. We're probably, you know, a spouse or significant other to someone we're probably managing or navigating. If we're not a stay at home mom, we're also working a job outside the home. So we have a lot on our plate. And I think back to how I probably felt in my mid thirties, I had, you know, I had one kid at 34, one at 36, my mid thirties, I was tired all the time. And I just attributed it to being the parent of small people. And so that's initially what starts to happen is you get this waxing and waning progesterone, our adrenal glands, which are designed to be an emergency backup system really take a hit because they are then picking up the slack, if you will, for the ovaries. Now, as you progress farther into perimenopause, this is when you can see a lot of inflammatory issues. It can come from food. It can come from lifestyle. Your sleep may be impacted. You become physiologically more prone to insulin resistance. And this is a byproduct of estradiol, which is the predominant form of estrogen is it's waxing and waning throughout perimenopause. You know, one month that might be high, one month that might be lower, um, that can manifest sometimes as hot flashes that can be weight gain. That can be tender breasts that can be, you know, vaginal symptoms, which are, you know, no one wants to talk about these things, but they are things that happen to us as we lose estrogen. And so we have the crime seed periods. We have the weight gain. Uh, we might be really grumpy. And so, you know, you start thinking about inflammation, food sensitivities, um, gut health issues. In fact, I just read a really interesting paper looking at the impact of gut health and the loss of estrogen and how it can make us prone to leaky gut. It can make us prone to developing things like dysbiosis. It can impact bone health. It can impact um, sensitivity of things like oxalates. I mean, it's just never ending. It's like the domino effect. And so we lose this buffering system of being able to work out ridiculously hard to not to getting by with skimping on sleep, to not connecting with nature. And so I remind people that perimenopause is almost a litmus test of how well we're taking care of ourselves. And let me be clear, I was doing everything wrong, stressful job, husband who traveled a lot, young kids, uh, too much exercise, like, you know, really intense conditioning, CrossFit type classes not getting enough sleep, it creates the perfect storm for women saying everything I used to do no longer works. So that's kind of like a high level, uh, pictation of what starts to happen in the body. And, you know, unfortunately, if you go to your GYN or your midwife, what they may suggest for you to manage these symptoms are antidepressants. They may recommend synthetic hormones to regulate your menstrual cycle. They may suggest an IUD an intrauterine device as well as things like an ablation or a hysterectomy. And so that is what was offered to me. Ironically, I had my menstrual cycle day one on a day I was seeing my GYM for an annual exam. And that was what she recommended to me. And I said, absolutely not. So there are definitely ways to navigate these years and to do it in a way where you don't feel like you're pigeonholed, if you will, into being forced into taking, you know, either doing surgery or doing hormones but I think a lot of women just don't realize there are more options. And the saddest thing of all was when I was in my twenties and thirties as a young nurse practitioner, I've been an NP for a long time. I recall women in their forties were really struggling and I didn't fully understand or appreciate what was happening to their bodies. But the way to think about it is it's reverse puberty. I have two teenage boys. I jokingly talk, all of their hormones are ramping up 
and mine are kind of ramping down, but it's the natural progression of life. We don't want to be fertile till the day we die. We want to have a period of time. They call it the wisdom years. In fact, where women can be more introspective, they can, you know, function and have a different role in society. They don't have to be focused on procreation. They can instead be focused on their families or work or hobbies. It's a very different focus. And I think it's, it's one that I hope women aren't fearful of. I certainly probably was initially. And now that I'm on the other side, if you will, I say all the time, like, it's great not having to worry about getting your menstrual cycle every month. Like it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. It's actually such a beautiful time. If you Mm -hmm. let it be that when you spoke, when you were in your twenties and thirties in your practice, I was a a hairdresser in Mm -hmm. my previous career. And I remember so many women, they're all crazy. And me just thinking, Oh my God, like I do not want, and my mom as well, Mm -hmm. like the hot flashes, the like grumpy and all that kind of stuff. So I'm so glad I tripped on this stuff Mm -hmm. to sort of help myself through it. But I will say when I turned 40, I had decided I was going to get a six pack, you know, that was just like my 40th birthday present. So I started aggressively exercising, Mm -hmm. under eating. That's when I tried fasting for all the wrong reasons. My dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer, like everything. And no wonder I did get to the the six pack, but then I ate a bun and everything like blew up and Mm -hmm. stress blew up. And it was just a horrible couple of years until I figured out like the stress has so much to do with Mm -hmm. it hormones, the fasting. So for someone listening to this and feeling a lot of those symptoms, Mm -hmm. what are some things that they should beyond listening to your surviving to thriving Ted talk and buying your book, because those are going to help a ton. What are some things that they can focus on? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say first and foremost, sleep is foundational to our health. This is, this is not a joke. This is not designed to uh, you know, be one of those woo woo things. It's like, there's actual, there's actual science behind our deep sleep, our REM sleep, how restorative it is getting good quality sleep. And so I track for full disclosure, I track my sleep because I'm a data nerd on my aura ring every night. I know exactly what my percentage of REM and deep sleep are, but part of why sleep becomes so critically important is that we know if you look at research that if you're getting less than six hours a night of sleep, and I used to be one of those people thinking I didn't need enough sleep, uh, you are more at risk for developing insulin resistance, for blood sugar dysregulation, for leptin resistance. And here in the United States, the 2018 study that I like to talk about was from UNC Chapel Hill School of Public Health is that 88.2% of adults then, so it's probably worse now, were not metabolically healthy. And so metabolic flexibility, your ability to be able to move between different types of fuel, whether it's glucose or fat is really predicated foundationally on good quality sleep. Like that's number one. And what does that mean? That means cold, dark room. And most of you, if you're listening, if you're in perimenopause or menopause, you like cold, you know, you enjoy cold when you sleep. So, you know, cold, dark room, um, ensuring that you are off of electronics, you know, making sure that you create a ritual, just like when your children were babies and toddlers, and they knew there were five things that happened before they went to bed, you have to create the same situation. And so I think that's really, really important, you know, and, and the study research, it's really seven to eight hours of high quality sleep minimum. I know if I just let myself sleep on vacation or on weekends, it could be nine hours of sleep. And I wake up and I feel amazing. 
but that can oftentimes be the, the missing piece. And just like you identify that when you tried to fast before you were overdoing it too much exercise, lots of personal stress. And I want everyone that's listening to understand that intermittent fasting is a type of hormetic stress in the right amounts at the right time can be hugely impactful. But if it's not the right time, you're under a lot of stress, not sleeping, et cetera, and you're really restricting your calories, it creates the perfect storm to really ultimately hurt your body. And, and it can take a period of time. A lot of women that are really depleted, it can take years to get their hormones better balanced. So always sleep, having a good stress management system. And I used to think this was kind of a joke. I was like, I don't need stress management. Well, uh, I, I want people to think about their stress management from a very strategic perspective. And that doesn't mean that you have to meditate all day long because most people don't have the time to do that, but it could be, you know, hugging your pet, hugging your kid, hugging your spouse that releases a hormone called oxytocin. You don't get a lot of it, but you have to do it throughout the day, the connection to connection to nature, um, you know, less intense physical exercise, like the concept of chronic cardio. I always laugh the neighborhood that I lived in, in Northern Virginia, there were always those chronic cardio women that would run miles and miles and miles every day. They'd run, you know, seven to 10 miles and they looked haggard because it's so much stress on your body. And we want to keep our hormones balance. It is not to suggest I'm saying no exercise. It's the right type of exercise. And then the other piece is really looking at nutrition as fuel. And, and it's really unpacking all the emotional connections we have to food. I was raised by an Italian mother. That's how you demonstrate love. My mother used to get offended when I started identifying that I don't eat gluten. I don't do dairy. I mean, it would just spin her mind. And I would say, it's not, I'm not rejecting you. I'm just saying, these are the things I don't eat because they don't work well for me. So really digging into the anti-inflammatory nutrition profile, focusing more on lean protein and healthy fats and low, you know, low carbohydrate vegetables, you know, non-starchy vegetables, low glycemic fruits. Unfortunately, I get a bad rap because people think I'm anti-carb and I remind them the more metabolically flexible you are, the more carbohydrates, non-processed carbohydrates you can consume. But if your diet is laden with a lot of processed foods, if you're eating the standard American diet as an example, and you're physically sedentary and you're middle-aged, I can pretty much guarantee you're setting yourself up for a lot of what we were talking about before we started recording, like aches and pains and poor sleep and weight gain. And we don't have to live that way. Like I, I know so many people in the health and wellness space who are thriving at middle age. And it's because we kind of have figured out the things that work best, like the habits that work best. And lastly, I want to touch on one more thing. Um, and I'm not anti-alcohol. I want to be really clear about that. I've, I've been accused that I did grow up with an alcoholic parent. I've never been a big drinker, but I see a lot of this mommy culture that glamorizes, you know, significant, uh, alcohol use. And you want to talk about something that's going to mess up your sleep, dysregulate your hormones, um, allow you to make really poor, poor food choices. Uh, that's one of the things that, you know, you really have to be conscientious about. So just being smart, um, and, and figuring out your N of one, you know, what works for your body, you know, do I have friends who are able to still do gluten and grains and dairy? Yeah. But we may have different end results for me. It's all about like sleeping well, having a lot of energy, thriving, feeling vibrant. Uh, you know, I'm not someone that stays up really late and, and, and it goes out and parties, but you know, maybe pre pandemic, some of those things were for happening for a lot of us, but I think the last two years have taught us a lot about ourselves, you know, in terms of resiliency. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I think we've been brought up to just listen 
to what everyone else says. So Mm -hmm. here's a, here's a meal plan, follow the meal plan. Here's Mm -hmm. what your doctor said. This is just what it is. And I try and tell the women in, in my community, just start listening to yourself. Like Mm -hmm. all the answers are in here. Just like you just said, you want to wake up feeling a certain way. And Mm -hmm. you know, that wine and a plate of pasta is not going to help you wake up the way you want. And sometimes we have to just get over, like people get so angry because you're saying, well, yeah, the carb, the carbs, the processed Mm -hmm. food, the white wine, every single night, it's not doing you any justice. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you're so boring or you're not any fun. Well, I'm a lot of fun in the morning because I'm thriving and I have energy. And I think sometimes people just have to get women, especially just have to get honest with themselves. Like, how do you want to feel? And I guess part of the problem is they haven't felt good for so long. They don't even know what good feels like anymore. I think that's, that's a huge component of it. And acknowledging that sometimes your choices may trigger other people and that's okay. That's on them. I know for myself, I, you know, come from a family that really enjoys wine. And, you know, initially it was, uh, I think it was a curiosity for them. They're like, why don't you want the wine? I said, well, first of all, I don't want to waste the calories. To be honest, um, if I'm going to have something indulgent, it's probably going to be really good quality, dark chocolate. And number two, I like to sleep. And it's one of the few things that gives me hot flashes and disrupts my sleep. And my sleep is an art form. Like I am fully transparent. My listeners know this on my podcast. I'm like, my sleep is an art form. And so for me, I value sleep more than I value alcohol. And so that has become the distinguishing uh, thing for me. And for each one of us, it might be very different, but I do agree with you that we've been kind of conditioned to be numb to our bodies, to the cues. We don't feel comfortable with the feelings we're experiencing. I have a great colleague, uh, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who wrote an amazing book specifically about this, like leaning into those uncomfortable feelings And it's so true because so many of us numb ourselves with whether it's exercise, like over-exercising alcohol, drugs, certain types of foods. And it's like, let's just feel what we're feeling and get over it. And then we won't feel the need to lean into those, you know, substances or those habits that maybe aren't serving us at our highest level. Mm -hmm. No one wants to acknowledge that that's really what it is. It's a habit. It's a form of addiction, all of that stuff. Okay. So maybe we can kind of pivot a little bit into intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. and why it is helpful for anyone, anytime, just sort of maybe give us an overview of intermittent fasting. And then I do want to talk to you about those periods of time in, in a woman's cycle hormones when it's good Mm -hmm. and, and not good. Yeah. So intermittent fasting is as simple a concept as eating less often you know, here in the United States, you know, there was a great study done by Sachin Panda and was looking at meal frequency uh, done through an app on people's phones. So super convenient. And the average American was eating six to 10 times a day. And so you think about what that does hormonally to the body. It is so misaligned with the way we as a species are designed to thrive. And so you think back, you know, a hundred thousand years ago, we wouldn't be here as a species before there were mini marts and convenience stores and processed foods and refrigerators, we ate very much aligned with this principle of feast and famine. Like you ate, maybe something got killed on Monday and maybe you ate twigs and bark for two days. And maybe a couple of days later, you had a big meal. If our bodies couldn't go in and utilize stored fat as fuel, we wouldn't have made it. So it's not a new or novel concept. I think we're talking about it with greater frequency now. And I think that's for many reasons why people believe it's kind of a new idea 
but it's eating less often. And there are lots of different ways to do it. I generally talk about a 16, eight is a good starting point, you know, 16 hours fasted with an eight hour feeding window. And during that eight hour feeding window, you're consuming two or three meals. Now, most perimenopausal menopausal women, if they get their macros, right, it's probably two meals uh, in that eight hour window. And during the 16 hours, most of which you're sleeping, you can have um, plain coffee, bitter teas, bitter are meant to be bitter, black, green, you know, not the fruity celestial seasonings blends and lots of water with electrolytes. And so it really is designed to be simple. I think we make it complicated because we want to make it complicated. We want to, you know, provide every excuse. In fact, I have a IF45 class that I'm meeting with after this recording, and I'm looking through their questions and I'm laughing because there's almost a predictability each time I teach this, the questions I'm going to be asked, the challenge, like you can tell there's some people who are angry. They don't like having to restrict things, but it's really not about restriction. It's really honoring the way our bodies are designed to thrive. And so when we're not eating, our bodies will, you know, ultimately over time, they'll keep insulin levels low. Insulin is this hormone. That's not a bad hormone. We hear a lot about it because we have a population that's so metabolically unhealthy with insulin resistance and even frank diabetes. But when insulin levels are low, our body can go in and tap into a fuel source, a fat fuel source and ketones are what the fat fuel source is. And they can diffuse directly across the blood brain barrier. So we have you know, incredible cognitive, um, you know, abilities. We have a lot of mental clarity, um, allows us to kind of tap into fat stores so we can lose fat, but also reduces our, uh, likelihood of developing, you know, a lot of the metabolic disorders. It could be PCOS, infertility, high blood pressure, diabetes, insulin resistance, leptin resistance, a lot of neurological disorders, including Alzheimer's and certain types of cancers. So I remind people that it's not just about body composition, although that's what attracts people to intermittent fasting. It's so much more substantive than that. And when you think about it, um, our bodies are meant to do a whole lot more digesting than they are meant to be just be chronically and habitually eating because each time insulin is secreted in response to a Frappuccino or, you know, a candy bar or a meal, each time it's, it's secreted in response to your blood sugar fluctuations, your body stops, uh, stops, you know, going in and, and taking fat as a fuel source, it goes into fat storage mode. And so you want to think about the more frequently you eat, the more likely you are to inhibit the ability to tap into those fat stores. And so I, I find most people come to intermittent fasting with a curiosity about changing body composition or weight loss. And they stay for all the other benefits because they just feel so much better. They have more mental clarity. They, you know, can, um, they just have a whole lot more energy. They're not getting the post meal slump. They don't want to go take a nap and they're not craving sugar. Like that's one of the common misnomers is, you know, if I start removing carbohydrates from a diet that I'm going to suddenly start missing things. And I always remind them the most satiating thing you can eat is protein. And this can be challenging if something's, if someone is vegetarian or vegan, because the plant-based protein sources are not equivalent to the animal-based ones. Uh, I will probably die on that sword. Uh, I feel very, very confident that, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong if you choose to have some quinoa or you choose to have chia seeds or hemp seeds, they tend to be more calorically dense and you will blow your, your macros for the day. Just trying to keep up with, you know, eight ounces of steak, I think is equivalent to six cups of quinoa and the carbohydrate load is substantial with quinoa. So I think it's, it's a lot of experimentation to find what works best, but the more insulin resistant leptin resistant obese, you are 
the more you need to restrict those carbohydrates so that your body can start tapping into this alternative fuel source. And really the way that our bodies are meant to go back and forth between using fats and carbs, depending on, uh, and that's really what metabolic flexibility comes down to. Yeah. I, I just took it off yesterday, but I had a blood glucose mm-hmm. on for the last couple of months. That was so fascinating. Oh yeah. I mean, oh wow. To watch what happened when you had certain things, when you ate certain things together and it was mind blowing. And I, I loved every minute of it. I mean, I really mm-hmm. like learning about mm-hmm. what's going on inside aside from doing something like that. How does a woman, if she's really wanting to figure this out, like what mm-hmm. foods are really working for her? Mm-hmm. How, how does she, is it tracking what she's eating and f- how she's feeling the weight loss gain? How do you help women really dig into figuring out themselves? Yeah. So in my book, intermittent fasting transformation, I have 45, I I go into specifics, but some of the things to really think about, if you don't have the ability to have a continuous glucose monitor, I wear one as well. Um, having a glucometer, uh, kind of tracking, how do you feel after eating a certain meal? I remind people all the time that, uh, it's not the protein that's going to get us into trouble because protein is so satiating. You know, you cannot eat 30 ounces of steak in a sitting, at least most women. I mean, there might be one out there, but I'm not aware of any, but as soon as you'll see men sitting down and eating a 24 ounce porterhouse, I'm like, I don't know where they put that, but that would, I would be sick. Um, so really just thinking strategically, like when you're sitting down to think about meals, it's like focus on the protein first. If you're eating five ounces of steak, eat six, you know, really ratcheting the protein up because that will shut, you know, that'll, that'll take those, you know, those hormones that tell us we're full, And it'll really, it'll remind us So you get these stretch receptors in your stomach and you'll say, okay, I'm definitely full eating high quality fats is another thing, you know, not seed oils, not canola oil, soybean oil, sunflower, et cetera. Um, you know, Dr. Kate Shanahan's a great resource in this area. And she's a medical doctor. I always remind people she's a medical doctor. She's done the research. She's written a couple of great books, but also thinking about, you know, what your bioindividuality is. If you have a lot of weight to lose, you need to carb restrict. And it doesn't mean that you have to be ketogenic under 30 grams of net carbs. Generally, when I recommend people track their macros and not calories, we're not talking about calories. It's your, their carbohydrate, excuse me, carbohydrate intake. Cause that's usually where people get stuck. It's the quality of the carbs. It's not cakes and cookies and pasta and bread. I'm talking about whole sources. Um, low glycemic berries, citrus fruits, um, really being strategic squash, sweet potato, root vegetables are going to be superior to things like gluten and grains. And I get in trouble sometimes because that's a triggering issue for a lot of people. In fact, one of the questions I was looking at before we started talking for my group that I'm going to answer in a little bit, why not this? Why not that? Uh, and it's because of what is done to grains and done to gluten. At least I can only speak to the policies here in the United States, but there's uh, a product called Roundup and it's glyphosate. And so we know it's this incredibly toxic chemical that goes in, in the body and it's designed to, you know, provide some uh, longevity, of these crops. So they spray these crops before they're harvested, but it's what it does to our bodies. You know, it's, it's almost as if it punches whole, it does it based on research we get small intestinal hyperpermeability or leaky gut is probably the term where people are familiarized with. And so I just remind people, I'm like, is that really serving you well? The other piece of that is, you know, if you have a continuous glucose monitor or a glucometer, a glucometer is inexpensive, but you need to stick your finger before and after meals. 
and watch what your blood sugar is doing. If your blood sugar goes up 50 points after eating a meal, you ate too many carbs. I mean, it's that simple. And so I think it's important for people to really be mindful. I personally am gluten grain and dairy free, but that's what works for my body. That may not work for someone else. I don't feel deprived. I'm happy in this little world, but I can tell you there are certain types of carbohydrates that don't agree with my body. And the reason why I know this is because I look at data. Um, and so I can, I know that plantains don't agree with me. I can eat a mango and I'm fine or a piece of pineapple and I'm fine. But if I eat a plantain, it doesn't matter if it's a starchy plantain or a sweet plantain, my body doesn't like it. I get this very exaggerated blood sugar response. And so I encourage people to really do their homework, to really get granular, to really, you know, spend some effort, especially if you're trying to lose weight where you've got changes that you want to make to body composition, you have to get honest with yourself. What serves you? It may be that you do a third or a quarter cup of carbohydrate with your meals. And that's your happy point that you work from, but we should never be thinking about nutrition as plating the carbs first. You will always lose, especially if you're in perimenopause or menopause, we become increasingly more insulin resistant prone, especially with those hormonal fluctuations that are happening. And so you really have to look differently. I would say, look strategically at nutrition. We all need to eat. I'm not advocating that you don't eat but you really have to look very differently at the way that you're plating your food and your relationship with food. And if you need help in that area, um, you know, really doing the work, because I, I find for many people, again, it can also be triggering, you know, maybe they've got an unhealthy relationship with food and they self-soothe with potato chips and ice cream. And, and we need to find other strategies so that we can thrive instead of just kind of surviving um, middle age. Yeah. Yeah. That emotional eating is such a huge huge problem across mm -hmm. the board. It's just like overworking over. It's another habit mm -hmm. that's addictive. So with intermittent fasting, mm -hmm. when I, when I restarted intermittent fasting a couple of years ago, I really was because I'm kind of like you, I, I really like to do everything mm -hmm. really well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to just push it and push it and push it every single day. And then the more I listened to women like you, doctors, mm -hmm. nurses, everyone, realizing that, okay, doing 20, 19 hours mm -hmm. every single day is not serving me at all. Mm -hmm. And there are periods of the psych of your cycle that you really want to not be fasting very mm -hmm. much. And other times when it's okay, do you, do you abide by that too? Like, do you feel like that's really something to really be watchful of when you're. Oh, absolutely. Fasting. Yeah. And I, I think we need to think about our menstrual cycle as a barometer of our health. And so you may not hear this from other people, but even if in our brains, we've decided we don't want to procreate, we don't want to have children, et cetera. Our bodies still think of, you know, food scarcity as, as an issue. And so I remind women that if you're fasting, you're new to fasting and your period gets wonky for a cycle or two, that's different. If your period goes away and you're not pregnant, that is a concern. That's a, that's a vital sign that says SOS. I'm not getting enough food. My brain is communicating with my ovaries that there's no food coming in. We can't sustain a pregnancy. So first and foremost, just being cognizant of the fact that if you're still cycling, your body is sensitive to that. So you have to make sure you're dialing on the stress and sleep and nutrition, et cetera. Um, you know, the other piece is we know at the first, you know, first half of our menstrual cycle, when estrogen predominates. This is when you can push workouts. This is when you can, you know, you can do longer fasts, but after ovulation, um, again, we go back to progesterone and we know in perimenopause, as an example, we've got lower levels of progesterone. 
And so the five to seven days preceding your menstrual cycle, we want to be really attuned that we don't want more stress. Our body doesn't need more stress. So this would definitely be a time that I caution women about, you know, fasting in general and then over fasting and just kind of leaning into the fact that they're, they've got these hormonal fluctuations. The really sad thing is, is that as a clinician, I know more now about menstrual cycles than I did when I was a student, when I was practicing as an NP, thankfully in cardiology, we didn't talk a lot about menstrual cycles, but I know a lot more now than I ever did. And so I encourage women to really think strategically. The other kind of weird thing is that, especially as you're getting towards the latter stages of perimenopause and the average age of menopause in the United States is 51, that could probably be extrapolated to most Westernized countries. You really start to think about like, am I getting closer to period to menopause when I stop having a menstrual cycle for an entire year? And if that's the case, like you, you really have to kind of lean into what's going on with your body. It's not at all uncommon to start having quite a bit of anovulatory cycles. You know, that means a time when your egg, when your egg is not released, um, at ovulation, but you still get a bleed cycle. And so as women are getting closer to the end, they'll ha- probably start having more irregular cycles. They may not ble- bleed as much. Um, they might start having more menopausal type symptoms like hot flashes or vasomotor symptoms. So really just being cognizant of the changes you're seeing in your body. And the other thing that I think can be very helpful, cause there's probably women listening saying, I have no idea where I am. I'm 48, I'm 50, I'm 52, get an FSH. So it's follicular stimulating hormone. And typically the rule of thumb is that if it's greater than 40 and we use the value here in the United States, I know that you all, um, may work with a different, uh, a different system in, in Canada, but really being cognizant that if it's greater than 40, and that's based on us standards on more than two occasions, you're probably knocking on the door of menopause. And so for women who aren't getting consistent cycles, maybe they've got an IUD, maybe they've had a hysterectomy. They still have their ovaries. They have no idea where they are that can be very, very helpful, or also doing a test called the Dutch. And so it's a dried urine test can be hugely impactful. In fact, I work quite a bit with that test in my own practice. And I find that it can be very, very insightful for women. Mm -hmm. That's usually the test I tell women in my community Mm -hmm. to, to have. So for me, when I started fasting a few years ago, my cycle was really wonky and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, here we are. Mm -hmm. But since really fasting and paying attention to what you just spoke of. So the first Mm -hmm. half, like today I'm doing a 24 hour and Mm -hmm. really, you know, doing some great workouts, Mm -hmm. but those last seven to 10 days, I'm really gentle with myself, Mm -hmm. like just nurturing myself so much and never go past like a 12 hour. My cycle, my cycle is so normal and Mm -hmm. so (laughs) great. Like actually people are like, Ooh, like you really want it to stick around. I'm like, well, honestly, it's just so wonderful. Like there's Mm -hmm. no pain, there's no nothing. It's when it's supposed to be. And it's really interesting what can happen Mm -hmm. when you start paying attention to your body and treating it the way it, it needs to be treated to thrive and intermittent fasting has really, really truthfully helped me in, in so many ways tune into my body. I think that's the thing I've, I've noticed things about myself. I I feel like I've worked through emotional eating Mm -hmm. because of having intermittent fasting as a tool. It's made me stop and say, but you're not hungry. So Mm -hmm. don't, instead of listening to, Oh, you better have six, two snacks here and there and all that kind of stuff. So that's what made us sick as a, that's made us, that's made us all very sick, you know, that, and a couple other things have definitely contributed to our current state of affairs, if you will, in terms of metabolic health, but, you know, intermittent fasting and you're right on so many levels, when people start 
eating less often or stop eating more frequently, all of a sudden they're like, my sleep is better. My energy is better. My mentation's better. I can exercise. I can participate with my family. I've, you know, there, I mean, there's so many examples of people that have been helped with this strategy, not just women, but also men. Um, on many ways, I think postmenopausal women and men have an easier time because their hormones are a little bit more stable. So if you're a menopausal woman, I've had women that have worked with me who have been 57 years old and have been stuck with 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds they've had through this menopausal transition that all of a sudden they feel so much better. They're losing weight. They're like, this is magic. I said, it's not magic. It's all about metabolic flexibility. And that's really what we want to aim for. Yeah. Like I shared with you before my mom who's 70 and she was really kind of against this whole fasting thing when Mm -hmm. I started into it again, but then she started, you know, seeing, I would share things like your Ted talks with her. And so she started and 20 pounds gone and she's been struggling with those forever. And she just looks better, feels better. And truthfully, she just wants to be here a long time. So she wants to just do everything that she can to really create that environment inside her body that is having her, you know, that longevity. So anyways, I want to be really mindful of your time. I'm super appreciative. This was so informative and I know my audience is going to love it. I know you have a book coming out Mm -hmm. and I was given a copy and I've started reading it. It's amazing. Can you share a little bit about your book and where Mm -hmm. people can find you? Yes. And uh, yeah, just where people can find you would be awesome. Yeah. So intermittent fasting transformation. I have 45 is the book. It is the only resource I'm aware of that is totally dedicated to a program, helping women adopt an intermittent fasting lifestyle there's three phases. We have over 50 recipes that are very animal, animal focused, but you can also make some of them vegetarian. Um, it's really talking about my story and, uh, how that influenced, you know, bringing the strategy into my lifestyle and then introducing so many thousands of my patients to it. And I have 45 is my signature program. And so that's a, a huge part of the book. Um, we have some pretty amazing pre-sale bonuses. So the book goes, on sale officially, or it it becomes available on March 15th, but you can find it on pre-sale on Amazon, Barnes and Noble Target, as well as your local bookstores. And if you have already purchased a copy of the book, you can um, get access to the pre-sale bonuses through my website. So it's www.cynthiathurlow.com. I am active on social media. I have a free Facebook group called Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle backslash my name. I am on Twitter. I'm a little snarky there and I'm very active on Instagram. And then, uh, YouTube is, is kind of evolving. I think it is probably been the most neglected part of my business. Um, and I also have a podcast as well called everyday wellness podcast, where I get to interview some of the most amazing people in the health and wellness industry. And and as I always say, like I endeavor, like the more I dive down the rabbit hole, I want to make sure I can bring, you know, the leading experts to my community, but yeah, that's a little bit about it. And Hopefully your listeners will check out the book. It's really been a labor of love to have written a book in the midst of a pandemic with kids schooling from home and multiple moves has been very, very interesting. Yeah. I know you moved too, in this whole situation. Multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> well, the book, I mean, I love your Facebook group and often dive in there just to 
get a piece of all your knowledge, but your book so far has been so amazing. So definitely we'll put all of those links in the show notes. Just go follow Cynthia everywhere. Uh, truthfully, and I'm not saying this to oh, because you. you're here, but you have helped me so much. I've just learned so much about myself and our health and our hormones just by following you and reading everything that you share, which I'm just so grateful for. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us today. This was great. And uh, I just appreciate you. Thank you. Likewise.